Well, hello and welcome to Rare Nautical Reads with me, Chris Tamwell Major. In this episode, we're continuing Strange But True, The Life and Adventures of Captain Thomas Crapo and Wife, published New Bedford, 1893. We're on part nine, continuing chapter four. Chapter four, across the Atlantic Ocean in a dory boat, continued. About 10 o'clock, I furled the mainsail and ran under our foresail until about midnight. The sea continued to make and occasionally broke over the boat, so at last I decided to lay to. I furled the foresail and set the mainsail for a storm trysail and put out my drogue. Thus the morning of the 10th found us. Thus we lay until daylight when the seas began to moderate, so we again started on our course steering east-southeast by the compass. Later in the day, we sighted two barks on the wind heading to the southward. They came within about two miles of us, but as they were beating on the wind, they probably did not deem it advisable to bother about us, so we soon were out of sight of each other. About two in the afternoon, the sky settled darker than before, and the wind continued to blow very heavily. About nine o'clock in the evening, we sighted a vessel's red light, which is carried on the port side. We ran within about a quarter mile of her, and as she proceeded, her light soon disappeared from view. About eleven o'clock, the wind changed to west-southwest, and light rains continued to follow us, and the morning of the eleventh found the weather about the same. At daylight, I took a short nap. When I awoke, we again started, with a moderate breeze and a heavy sky and sea, steering east-southeast by the compass. Light, baffling winds prevailed. I now found time to put the water given to us by the captain of the Denmark into our water kegs, so after doing so, I threw the keg overboard. After doing so, I glanced around and saw a vessel in the distance, and as she was not a great distance off, I headed for her, expecting, of course, that we were seen by those on board. As I neared her, I hailed her. When a dog on board began to bark, I hailed several times and at last made myself heard. When all hands came to the side of the vessel and appeared thunderstruck to see us in such a small boat. At last the captain found his voice and hailed, when I asked what the longitude was. He asked us to come alongside, but I told him we could not as we were in a hurry, so we sailed on, and as we drew apart he shouted the longitude, 25 degrees, so I thanked him, and the crew cheered lustily. Light, baffling winds continued until about three in the morning of the twelfth, when I again took a nap. Started again about eight o'clock with a light breeze from the northwest. We sailed along very pleasantly until about eight in the evening, when the wind canted to the westward, and it soon settled very cloudy, which made the sky as black as ink. The rain began to fall in torrents, and the wind howled. About two in the morning of the 13th, I hove to and put out my drogue and had a short sleep. While I was asleep, the weather cleared, so about nine in the forenoon, we again started, steering east by south, half south by the compass. About ten, the wind began to increase, and the seas began to make very fast. We sighted a bark steering to the eastward, which passed within a half mile of us. About one in the morning of the 14th, heavy squall set in, and about three I hove to for a nap, and started again about nine in a heavy rainstorm. About four in the afternoon, we sighted two vessels, steering to the southward. The rain still falling in torrents, and about one in the morning of the 15th, I decided to heave to and put out my drogue, which I did. My wife had begun to feel quite bad. 
I suppose the change from canned goods to fresh meat and vegetables given to us from the Denmark was the cause. This made it very uncomfortable for both of us as we were not provided with a supply of medicines and a doctor was out of the question. Sickness is not pleasant at any time even when a doctor lives next door to you and to be where one cannot be had for love nor money was decidedly bad. We both thought it would soon pass off but it did not seem to do so as she complained of feeling worse as the time passed on. I was dead tired, so I took a short nap, after which we again proceeded. The wind canted to the north-northwest, and the weather cleared. About eleven, the wind increased and the sea made very fast, and as it grew worse all the time, I deemed it advisable to heave to, as our little boat laboured very heavily. The seas were terrible, and I had grave fears for our safety, as the seas were continually breaking over her. The morning of the 16th found us in the same predicament and no signs of the gale abating. About seven o'clock in the morning, the Bremen Bark Astronom spoke us and asked if we wanted any assistance or if we wanted to come on board, as we appeared to be in a sad condition. But we had stood it thus far, and I thought we could stand it for a little while longer. Yet I could but help thinking of my wife, who grew decidedly worse each day. A terrible weakness had taken hold of her, and she often said she did not care whether she ever reached England or not. Yet, in the face of all this, we declined to accept any assistance, and thanked them very courteously for their proffered help. So we parted, and were soon out of sight of each other, as it did not take her long in the strong wind, as she was scudding before it, while we had to lay to. Shortly after she left us, our rudder head was twisted off, which was a bad go for us, but luckily I had a spare one and could replace it as soon as the weather would permit. But at the present time, the boat was rolling and pitching about like an eggshell. About five o'clock in the afternoon, a Prussian brig passed close to us, heading to the eastward, and was soon lost to view. Thus we rocked and rolled through the day and night, and about six o'clock in the morning on the 17th, we sighted a bark under short sail heading to the eastward. There was no apparent change in the weather until about five o'clock in the morning of the 18th, when the wind canted to north-northwest and moderated. As the signs held good about six o'clock the same morning, I got out my spare rudder and rigged it and made sail and started again, steering east by north by the compass. The seas were still running very high and the waves dashed across the boat at every jump. The sky cleared, which made it a little more inviting for us, Yet it was not much pleasure at best. Mrs. Crapo was still very much under the weather and was unable to render any assistance whatever. About four o'clock in the afternoon, the wind changed to west-southwest and fog and rain again set in. I don't remember in all of my going to sea and crossing the Atlantic Ocean so many times of seeing a period of time that we had been on our passage with so many gales and so much fog and rain. And I have thought a great many times since that if I had taken a more northerly course, I probably would have had a better passage. The Atlantic Ocean is a very rough place during the winter months, but is generally quite good during the summer, yet we were having nearly as rough a passage as if it were winter instead of in the summer. Words cannot express, even to sailors themselves, what we experienced on that passage. Gales that were terrible to encounter, especially in a little boat, when many large vessels had been wrecked in gales of less magnitude. Yet there we were, day and night, 
and I slept on an average of four hours out of each 24 during the passage and not a ghost of a chance to move about enough to keep one's blood in circulation. At all times, especially in heavy weather, my thoughts would turn to my wife who was bearing up bravely under the ordeal, especially as sick as she was, and as she grew worse instead of better, the fact plagued me more, I think, than it did her. Of course, all I could do under the circumstances was to cheer her up all that I possibly could. If she had had a good, dry, comfortable bed to lie in, it would have been far better, but our readers can see how limited our accommodations were. It was bad enough for her to be obliged to put up with it when she was feeling well and happy, but now the thought was as wormwood, and I must make all possible haste to reach land where medical aid could be had for her, as she was growing very despondent, and made the remark a great many times that she did not believe she would live to see or reach land again, and also that she did not care whether she did or not. But the Lord was merciful to us all through, and we put our trust in him and sailed on. About two o'clock in the morning of the 19th, I again hove the boat to, as the weather was so bad I deemed it unsafe to run, as I did not wish to venture our chances. I watched very closely for signs of its moderating, and at last it was rewarded by signs of a change of wind when we again started, although it was not pleasant sailing. But we were, all the time, drawing nearer to our destination, which meant a great deal to us. Very soon, a thick fog set in, and rain began to fall very heavily, which continued until about half-past six o'clock in the evening, when the fog lifted a little. As the fog lifted, we sighted a bark which proved, as we drew up to her, to be an English bark from Baltimore to Hamburg. The captain gave us the latitude as 48 degrees 20 minutes, longitude 11 degrees 50 minutes. Cheers from the crew rent the air, to which we heartily responded. We continued on our way, and again the weather began to moderate. About three o'clock in the morning of the 20th, it again settled foggy, and remained so until about 10 o'clock when it lifted, and the sun soon broke through with the wind from the westward and blowing quite heavily. Several vessels were in sight, and we ran close to one, a brig named Susan, and the captain gave us the latitude 49 degrees 32 minutes, longitude 7 degrees 30 minutes. Also, the distance is 55 miles from the Isles of Scilly. He wanted us to run alongside, but the wind blew so hard and the seas ran so high, I did not dare to attempt it but continued on towards our destination, first thanking the captain for the desired information. This was very encouraging to us. We were nearing our long-looked-for destination, and with good luck we should enter a safe anchorage, and my wife could then have medical attention. When daylight of the 21st appeared, it was very foggy, which held on until about 10 o'clock when it lifted. As it lifted, we sighted a steamer. We ran towards her, and as we drew near, I asked the captain how Silly Island bore, and he answered by pointing for me, and as I looked, I could see the land. Oh, what a welcoming sight! Words cannot adequately express the delight we felt upon seeing it before our eyes, and we lost no time in heading for it, but, owing to a strong current and the wind, we were about five miles to the leeward when we got abreast of them, so I kept off for land's end and as we passed the lighthouse about four o'clock in the afternoon, the keeper dipped his colours to us and rang his bell. We continued on, saluting him in return as we passed. We arrived in Newland, Penzance, at eleven o'clock in the night, and ran alongside of a fishing boat which I hailed, 
but got no reply, as there was no one on board. So I made my boat fast and told Mrs. Crapo we would have some good hot coffee. So, although it was late and I was tired, having steered the boat without any rest for the past 72 hours, I felt so encouraged to think our perilous voyage was over. I lit our oil stove and put on our little giant coffee pot. We both sat down watching it and both fell fast asleep as we sat there and did not wake up until daylight had broke. My left hand was useless from steering so long and steadily, and I was as bad off as if I had no hand at all, but of course I expected it would regain itself in a short time. Our long, perilous voyage was over, and here we were, on a Sunday morning, made fast to a fishing boat belonging to some inhabitant of the British Isles. We then filled our lamp stove again as it had burned itself out while we were sitting around it asleep, and made ourselves a good cup of coffee, which seemed to taste far better to us than it had at any time during our voyage. Mrs. Crapo's condition was such as to make anything, no matter how palatable, have a queer flat taste, and we were both very anxious to get ashore where medical aid could be had to assist her in regaining her former health. As she clothed herself entirely in flannel during the voyage, we did not expect any serious results would follow, Yet when she got wet during heavy weather or rainstorms, a change had to be made as soon as convenient, and many times the change would be very damp, especially when heavy weather held on for any length of time. As we had no means of drying any clothes excepting in the sun, and as my readers already know there were a great many times when the sun did not shine for several days, not only our clothes would be wet, but our bedding besides, and everyone knows that a damp bed is not a pleasant place to seek for a quiet, undisturbed rest. Many times the bed was so wet that when placed in the sun it would steam for a long time, and as I had nothing of any account to do while steering, I would watch the fine vapour arise until it was again perfectly dry. After drinking our coffee, I managed to climb up my foremast and rove my signal halyards to hoist my colours with. I found it a very difficult task as my hand was, as I have said, entirely useless and might as well have been cut off for all the good it was at present. My colours had not been set long before we saw a boat approaching, which soon came alongside. The man who was its only occupant asked us a great many questions and seemed to be much pleased to be the one to welcome us upon our safe arrival. He also asked if we wished to go on shore and as that was our earnest desire, he volunteered to land us at once. As we neared the shore, we saw a lady coming down towards the place where we could land. This gave Mrs. Crapo fresh courage to see one of her sex ready to welcome her, and as we stepped on shore, she invited us to go to her house, which was close by, and have some hot tea. We accepted this kind invitation and went to her house, when a steaming cup of hot tea and a tempting breakfast was placed before us. As we had been drinking coffee only during our voyage, tea was quite acceptable and we again enjoyed a good hearty meal sitting at a well-regulated table whose comforts were far different from what we had to put up with for the past 49 days and I was much pleased to see Mrs. Crapo by the way she had eaten very sparingly since the first attack of sickness eating quite a breakfast and seemingly enjoying it very much. It was surprising to see how the news of our arrival spread. The crowds gathered about the house waiting for a chance to see us. Hundreds entered and shook hands with us and appeared perfectly satisfied if they could only do so or if they could only touch us in any way they were satisfied. 
Mrs. Crapo, was the lion of the hour. A woman to cross the tempestuous Atlantic Ocean in a small boat like ours was what turned the people's heads, and all seemed to be pleased to receive a word from her. Even our dishes and utensils used during our memorable voyage were eagerly sought for as mementos, and as some were silver-plated, the recipients had the dates of our sailing and arriving neatly engraved upon them. During the day, religious services were held in the little church, especially for us, which were attended by a large number of people. Every kindness was shown us by the Cornish people, and we were graciously received by all. We remained at the house of the lady during our stay, and it was stated to us that more people visited us and turned out to see us than did on the arrival of the Prince and Princess of Wales a short time before. Mrs. Crapo had now nearly regained her former health, thanks to the skill of a physician recommended to us by our landlady, whose medicines worked a great change from the start. Every day we were there, hundreds came to see us. Many came from a long distance on purpose to do so. On the 27th of the same month, we bade them goodbye, and with thanks to our hostess for her kind attention during our stay under her roof, we left for Penzance. We again entered our frail craft and started. The distance was only three miles, and with a fair breeze it did not take us long to go. On our arrival, hundreds had gathered to see us, attracted by our flags while sailing along, and as the crowd increased in numbers, I did as I was asked by many of them, which was to sail around a little while, so the crowd could view the boat and watch her sailing qualities. I sailed around for them nearly an hour, and I thought the crowd would go wild when we ran alongside of the wharf. After making fast, I proceeded to take the mast out of her. After doing so, I then took out my five water kegs. We had only used from one which held twenty gallons, as this one was replenished by passing vessels at different times. I let what remained run overboard, and then knocked out the bungs from the others to do the same. Owing to the kegs being bunged up tight, the water within was bad and unfit for use. Providing we had exhausted our other supply, we would have had problems, as when I turned them over to let them run out, the water was as thick as jelly and was not fit for anything. Thus, 80 gallons of the 100 put in the boat at New Bedford before starting was thrown overboard at Penzance. If I had left the bungs loose when stowing them in the boat, the water would probably have been saved. But be that as it may, we were not without during the voyage, and a fresh supply was tendered by every vessel we spoke. After emptying the kegs, I put slings on the boat and hoisted her out with a crane on the wharf. As she hung in mid-air, a gentleman approached and asked me if I was willing to take a photograph of her as she hung, to which I willingly consented, and he made preparations to do so. A large multitude of people were present at that time. After he had taken the photographs, I had her put on board of the cars and we started for London, where we arrived the next morning. We were met at the depot by my wife's father, who had been on the lookout for us for several days, so we accompanied him to his home. During the forenoon, he and I paid a visit to the American consul, when I delivered up my papers, or rather the letter given to me by the custom house officials at New Bedford, as was explained in the first part of the voyage, and below is a copy of his given to me. United States Consulate General, London, exhibited at this office July 28, 1877, J. Vinning, Vice Consul, General and Shipping, Commissioner at London. No wonder he looked at me when he read the letter 
as such a marine document had never passed through his hands before, and to enter such records of so small a craft was novel in itself. He asked a great many questions about our trip across, and said he was more than pleased to welcome us. We remained and talked for quite a length of time, and then started back to my wife's father's home. On our arrival, we found that there had been three or four agents of museums and shows to try to make arrangements with us to exhibit ourselves in the boat. One was an agent for an aquarium, and one from the Alexander Palace. The others did not say what they represented. Early in the afternoon, we went to the Alexander Palace, and it did not take long to complete arrangements. Well, that's the end of today's chapter, and we're going to continue with the story tomorrow. Now, if you haven't already, consider please going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. You can follow the link in the podcast description. And there we have a growing community of people just like yourself who are interested in sailing, interested in seamanship, and interested to learn more techniques and tips that can help their time on their boat be safer and more enjoyable. So at $5 a month, your donation directly contributes to me being able to produce the podcasts and keeps the lights on, keeps the wheels going round. But if you are interested in developing your skills further, then you may be interested to increase your contribution to the next level up, to the mate level. And there for $20 a month, you get access to the one hour professionally produced seamanship training videos that we do each month which drill down and look at specific aspects of seamanship and safety at sea, get into the nitty gritty of it and uh, share with you information that can make your time at sea both more enjoyable and safer. So if any of that sounds interesting, go along to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner or follow the link in the podcast description and become part of the community. But that's all for today. So I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are safe and sound. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.